Hi, I'm Paul Stringfellow and welcome to Tech Interviews. On this week's show, it's all about layers as we take a look at security in depth. So, settle back and enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome to another edition of Tech Interviews. Uh, on this week's show, we're picking up on a, a well, a favourite topic of the show, really, uh, and certainly a topic that's top of mind for pretty much anybody who listens to this show, I think, uh, and that's the idea of information and data security. Um, and, th- and this show has been inspired by um, a friend of mine who wrote a series of articles earlier in the year um, over on uh, the uh, SolarWinds uh, website, um, Orange Matters. Um, and it was a really interesting set of articles about building a security strategy, building in-depth security uh, security strategies um, and so since uh, since you wrote that I've been wanting to get her on the show and you know we've managed to get diaries to collide and uh, and managed to get some time to record this week so uh, so joining me this week is my guest Becky Elliott hi Becky hi Paul thanks for having me this actually is my first time being a solo guest so thank you uh- well, well, that's uh, that, that's all right. I, um, you know, we, we've already spoken. You already sound a complete professional, so uh, so I think I think we'll be good with this. Um, so, um, well, look, uh, before we jump into our uh, topic, Becky, why don't you introduce yourself? Tell people um, a little about who you are and, and what you're doing. So I'm Becky Elliott. I am a tech blogger at the moment, um, and otherwise, I was a consultant, a sysadmin, a web developer. Most of my career, I've kind of spent in dark, windowless spaces the kind of spaces where security is really important. I'm also a huge community fan. I'm a on the NetApp A team, a V expert, a tech field day delegate, etc. You can follow me on Twitter at Becky L. Elliott. Um so yeah, so well, well yeah, so that's that's a great introduction, Becky. And um so, so obviously that you know I really enjoyed the set of articles you wrote. I thought, you know, they were very uh, you know uh, Covered a lot of, you know, resonated really well, I think, with a lot of the topics that I hear and a lot of the conversations that, that I have with people. Um, but what, what was the background to to what got you to write those? And obviously, I'll put them in the show notes so, so people can go and find them later. But what, what was kind of the background? What, in, what inspired the, uh, the series of articles that you wrote? I think a lot of times security is kind of an afterthought. It's not baked in from the beginning. I'm a pretty open-minded person, but there are things that I, like, judge organizations for. And, like, one thing is patching how often they release software because I, I feel like if you kind of look at processes and how they're executed, you kind of, and the reliance on like processing technology, you really kind of get a window into an organization's security house. Oh, and so I, I also think like if you looked at, at the news today, there are ransomware attacks all the time and you kind of read the post and it was like, if only they had ransomware insurance, but if you've ever dealt with insurance, you would know that the organizations that usually end up in the news are the ones that probably wouldn't be insured. Yeah, I, I, and I think, um, well, I think something, actually a couple of things you said in there straight away that um, I, I think is really interesting. And I, I particularly like the idea that um, of sitting there silently judging an organization based on their patching. Um, I, I feel I do that as well. Um, and, and so, so was it kind of this, um, and so, and the kind of the opening phrase actually used was that security is often an afterthought. And so was, was that the kind of one of the things that's maybe frustrated you throughout, uh, throughout your career, throughout the kind of the, 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 the work that you've done? Um, and, and that was the kind of thing that you wanted to start to highlight some of those things, uh, within this series. So I, I worked, I worked for like multiple organizations and I worked for places where security was really important. And then I've kind of worked places where it was less important. So I've kind of seen the whole gambit. And so once you kind of, once you're tuned into security, it's really hard to work places where it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah, I, I, I can imagine. And um, yeah, and, and, and I mean, interesting. So um, 
I mean, what's the reason that you think that security is an afterthought? You know, is it just is it that kind of mentality of it's never going to happen to me, or is it kind of lack of experience, lack of skills, lack of money? You know, what what kind of drives that um, kind of apathy towards security? I feel like it's organizational buy-in. Maybe maybe they kind of have one little silo for information security where you don't have everyone looking at it. Yeah, so it's because it, it, uh, that's interesting because that's a conversation I often have with people as well is this idea that if you're going to kind of implement um, a, a major security strategy within an organization, that one of the things that you need is kind of buy-in not only from the very top of the organization, but buy-in all the way from the bottom up, you know, because often I think that security when it gets implemented is often seen by a lot of people as kind of an impediment to them doing their job. You know, they will look at, you know, you adding in an extra step of security is, well, I just want to do my job. What do you mean? I can't just put this, I can't just tweet this information out or I can't just email it to my friend who who works somewhere else, you know, is that, I think that organization buy-in stuff is huge. And I mean, do you think, I mean, it's kind of the thing you flagged up is, does that tend to be the number one thing behind lack security? I believe so. Okay. so. I've worked at places where they have kind of went through big steps to have multi-factor just for like physical access. But then you have a little, where, so they have like this stringent security for getting into the building. But they'll let people in without badging them in or they'll let people follow behind. So at that point, you are not having buy-in from everyone. So they have the check mark for the control, but it's not really being implemented. Hmm. Yeah, and I suppose sometimes as well, it's because once people gain physical access, I, I mean, I always remember being told quite, quite a while ago uh, when, when I first started kind of getting involved more and more with, with kind of information security was that one of those things about the easiest way to steal information from a business is not necessarily a big, you know, kind of Mr. Robot cyber hack type idea, but is get a job as a cleaner in, inside of an organization. And then you're normally just right. left roaming free with access to devices, server rooms, all kinds of stuff, you know, and that kind of it kind of flagged up in what you were just talking about there, that actually sometimes even the physical security of, a, of an office yeah. is not strong enough. Um, so, you, you know, you, you get kind of these, um, the, these five articles that you wrote it was a series you know it was five random articles um i thought followed a really interesting interesting path and i kind of just wanted to to pick on each of the, the topics in general um you know to just to help people listening uh, to the show to to think of some of the areas that maybe they could look at as they start to build their own security strategies so um so if i kind of just pick up i'm, I'm just kind of going to work through them in in order so the, the the very first thing that you put up was where um you know the idea of that uh, trust but verify isn't enough um so so what what kind of what's that topic about you know, what what do you mean by that so previously you would have like if you're inside the network you're trusted if you're outside you're not trusted but as data and devices talk in and out like on premises off premises cloud multi cloud that whole traditional perimeter is kind of dissolving and just because someone is internal it doesn't mean that you can trust them yeah i, I mean i think that's a huge point as well but actually about the idea of you, you mentioned that kind of weird traditional perimeter um you know and i think that's a huge point is that actually the the boundaries of our network are no longer the data center are no longer a firewall are actually kind of the furthest you know the furthest device that sits it's the smartphone that kind of sits uh, you know on when somebody's traveling abroad or it's the laptop that gets left in the back of the car you know is that I, I, I mean, do, do you think that organizations are 
um, are getting better at recognizing that or again your experience that actually that's that's a major problem and that people aren't necessarily even considering I, I think that it's getting better I think there's a lot of work to be done there but fortunately I, I feel like technology is going to have a big impact on this as we use machine learning and AI just to kind of get smarter about maybe activity that looks suspicious yeah and is that the idea because i've seen some technology like this and i think it's really smart it's that idea where it's making decisions on the kind of tech the kind of security levels it will implement based on kind of user pattern so you know if i always log on to my device from the same location all of the time the security may be less stringent than if i'm suddenly logging on from the other side of the world or maybe it won't let me on at all if i'm trying to log on from both locations is that what you mean yeah exactly so, um, so, so, so actually, when, when we look at that kind of stuff, so, so what, what are some of the things that people can do then? You know, so we've already kind of talked on that, that smarter, um, uh, kind of smarter verification of, of somebody's access, you know, but, but is there other things that people can look at to improve on that idea of, um, you know, trust and verification? So organizations can kind of look at micro-segmentation if they're already not doing that. And so with that, it's kind of, it's kind of putting parts of the network into small protected groups. Yeah, so this is, uh, again, I suppose one of those things that we're, we're starting to see increasingly is that people are looking at that, actually that idea of micro-segmentation moving away from the very flat network infrastructure and starting to build kind of security between, you know, domains across their network. So, you know, these machines. Right, workloads, yeah, workloads. Yeah, yeah, this machine yeah. can only ever talk to this machine over here. There's no reason for these machines to talk to it as well. So, um, right. so. So, so kind of the the, um, the the next area that you looked at was this idea of, um, and again, I kind of like the title, was that the idea of weakest link may be you. So, so kind of, again, what, what, what was you getting at with that? What was some of your experience in, in that space? So again, this kind of goes back to sometimes organizations have security controls because it's kind of a checkbox, but ultimately people are the ones who are carrying out what needs to be done. And if they don't believe that they're doing it for this higher purpose, like, hey, we're an e-commerce site. And if we come from, if we lose our users' trust, then we're going to go out of business. Like, just even like having that. And so, just for people to kind of recognize that security matters. Uh, well, it's interesting because that kind of goes back to something we talked about before, doesn't it? The idea that you're not getting buy-in, and I think that's absolutely huge. I think you know, if, if people, if the people in your organization don't realize why security is important, then you know, you're going to have a huge challenge getting them to buy into any additional security measure or, or even the most basic of security measures. You know, it's the idea that people will write a password on a post-it note and stick them on a monitor kind of idea. Is Right, so, exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And and these are for organizations that have really stringent password policies, that they make them so difficult that people end up doing things like that. Yeah, and, well, and that's another great point, I think, as well, that, that we often... Um, that I, I've only had this conversation in the last week or so about the idea that stringent password policies, you know, making them really, really long and enforcing changing them really, really often actually becomes counterproductive in that, um, you know, they, they become something that actually either people start writing them down or they look for the simplest version of that password that they can get away with. Um, I mean, have you got kind of a, any tips on on what makes good um, or, or actually any any tips on what are good ways to ensure that your users do buy into to kind of the security that you're trying to implement? Sometimes the best security actually makes things easier. 
So if you have, so I've worked in organizations where they have multi-factor organizations. You can have a card and you have a six-digit PIN, which is infinitely easier to use than a 15-character, special character password. So multi-factor authentication is an incredible thing to be using. Yes, I say one of my favorite hashtags is multi-factor all of the things. Um, I, I, it's not the snappiest one. It is quite long, um, but I, I am, I'm kind of a big fan of, uh, of that idea. Um, and, and, and again, I, I, that actually kind of goes on to, to the next question I was going to ask you about, um, you know, good, good advice around kind of password policy and, and kind of password protection. But I think often the idea that, uh, and again, a phrase I heard mentioned a couple of years ago, that ultimately passwords are a bit rubbish um you know or, or maybe they're not but uh, yeah but actually the idea that something like multi-factor um something like you know kind of where you may be using a fingerprint or facial recognition to log you on um you know uh, if you've got any kind of advice and again or, or experience in, in in places where you've seen that done really well i haven't been anywhere yet where i've seen biometrics used and that's a really interesting space um multi-factor if you've worked in the government they have requirements for all applications and all access to, to support multi-factor authentication, which is really good because then that drives the people who want to do work with the government, they also need to implement those features. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that, so obviously my, my day-to-day business that we're a, um, a, a Microsoft partner. So as, as part of our Microsoft partnership, we do work with their managed services, their cloud services, Office, 36, <clears throat> Office 365 Azure. Um, and one of the things they're starting to ask their service provider type partners to do is ensure that they have multi-factor authentication turned on across all of their access because they're accessing custom, other customers' data, not just their own. So Microsoft are insisting that if you're going to use that, that you must have multi-factor authentication within your own tenancy. Um, and, I, and again, I, I think that makes, for me, makes perfect sense because you need that extra level of security because what you want, somebody's logged into my Office 365 credentials or my Microsoft credentials, potentially they have access to a, a wide range of things. But I suppose, that, again, that goes back to buying into why security is important because, um, you know, f- from a partner point of view, yeah, we look at that and understand, well, if we want to continue doing the, the work we're doing, well, actually, security becomes important, which goes back to exactly what you were saying before, that the reason we're deploying security is this idea of some kind of higher purpose that actually I'm protecting the, whether it's I'm protecting the, the good name of the company or ultimately protecting my own job and ability to pay the bills, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind right. of buy-in that's, that, that, that's important. Um, right. and, and that, and that, well, after that kind of led on to, um, p- perhaps my very favorite one, it was something you kind of started off with, uh, we're talking about, which was the, um, the story that patching tells. And, and I know you kind of started off with, uh, silently judging the way that people patch, but, but right. I, I mean, again, why, why for you, well, do you want to kind of explain that piece a little bit and explain kind of some of the thinking behind why patching is is so critical to a to somebody's security posture so if you were familiar with like cves and you were watching security vulnerabilities you would know that they come out every day like bugs vulnerabilities are constantly being discovered and the only way that you can protect against those is to be diligent in your patching so if you have like a software release cycle and you are only publishing code every six months odds are you are not you are you are not patching for the upcoming vulnerabilities. And so if you kind of look at like some of the organizations that have been breached or had ransomware, it usually is for patches that are a couple years old. Like Baltimore City, when they had their ransomware, 
it could have been they could have been protected if they had if they had applied patches from 2017. Yeah, and, and well, and I think as you say, I mean that's something you see so incredibly often that actually the exploit has tended to be some level of vulnerability that the you know the software vendor or you know has has long since patched and fixed and, and kind of shipped out a, a fix for it and people have just not applied those or right. i suppose again they're, they're running unsupported operating systems unsupported applications that actually aren't getting patched anymore um yeah. I, I mean do, do, do you have some do you have some good tips good experiences around what actually is a good patching regime you know what 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 makes sense the kind of things you should be thinking of i'm sure every case is kind of individual and different but is there some general good practice so i feel like when accountability is involved in patching it makes it go a lot better there are times that people don't want to patch because they feel like it might break things it's a lot of work but and like for the department of defense they have requirements that there are weekly security scans and so you're kind of guaranteed that every week new vulnerability is going to be discovered and you you need to patch them or you need to report it to somebody else and so i, I kind of feel I don't know if you have like a, if you, the CIO is the one who drives accountability, but you, you kind of need accountability and you need to have processes for it. Yeah, I think that accountability stuff is, um, you know, and I suppose it kind of also looks at not just accountability, but I suppose that that kind of cultural thing again that talks about, you know, as you were saying there, that people are sometimes worried about patching because they're concerned of the impact of applying the patch or the impact of asking for downtime inside of an organization and i guess if the again the organization doesn't necessarily buy into the importance of security and, and patching being a part of their security posture i guess that again might be more difficult is again is that is that kind of what you've seen is is that your experience so i feel like the organizations that are really bad about patching are the ones that say that the patches will break everything but if you are diligent in your patching the odds that something is going to happen and affect availability, they are not that high. So uh, there's something else you mentioned as well, actually, just kind of in passing as, as you were talking, and you, you talked about this idea of security scans. Um, so, you know, for, for people listening who may not be familiar with, with what you mean by that, uh, you know, what, what do you mean by that, I suppose? What, what, what do you mean by security scans? How, how do they help? So security scans, and so even if you are in an all-cloud model, Amazon also has their compliance checker that you could run against your instances that they kind of check for they will typically check the cve database for vulnerable software so they'll look at like what versions of tomcat you're using like whether or not you have the latest windows patches applied or whether or not you're patching your your linux servers but it, it kind of will delve into basically the versions of software that you're running and also maybe even ports that you have open yeah, I, 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 I guess it's kind of an area I've, I've become increasingly familiar with, you know, the likes of Qualys who do that that kind of stuff. And actually, I've, I've had Qualys on the show a couple of times because I think that is actually something often that we miss, you know, and it's not, like I say, it's, it's sometimes it's looking at, um, you know, if you've got a public-facing service, for example, sometimes looking at that and looking for known exploits within kind of your web code or, as you say, looking at hardware and software and operating systems you've got deployed and checking your patch levels against known vulnerabilities. And I think what can be real powerful with that kind of stuff is it's not just doing that, but it's actually coming back and saying, you need to apply the, you've got these problems, now go and find this patch and apply it. You know, it's not just, often right. these, these scans are not just turning around saying, oh, you've got some problems, unlucky. 
they're turning around and giving some real good advice on you've got these yeah. problems go and fix it that way so i mean is that is that kind of a is that kind of a becky elliott top tip um uh, around around patching make sure you do regular security scans and you know obviously Absolutely. make sure you patch right. yeah yeah if you're just relying on people to be to do their best like it's going to fall through the cracks yeah and uh, yeah uh, well and, and the thing that again talks to kind of another a, a real trend that we see within IT increasingly, I think, is the acceptance that we need to automate quite a lot of this stuff. You know, and you know, we yeah. we actually we've we've just been at an event recently together where we um, sat on a panel, and, and one of the things we talked about was that idea of in the modern data world that we need to automate quite a lot of these capabilities because actually as human yeah. beings we can't keep up with the amount of data and how we have to secure it and what we need to do with it and and security posture i think is is increasingly uh, the same that we just can't keep up with uh, vulnerabilities we can't keep up with potential exploits as human beings we just can't look enough and actually having um you know software that can assist us with doing that and actually something you talked about earlier on right at the start was actually that idea of having a level of intelligence built into that so that we can look at things like user behavior and not necessarily look for an obvious user a has done something that they shouldn't have done but actually user a their behavior has now changed that might in itself be a security security lapse um Again, I mean, is, it, is that in the security spaces, you know, is that something that you're seeing that increasingly people are starting to accept that we need more intelligence around security? It's not just kind of a blunt instrument thing. Because again, security is hard work. And um, yeah. so anything that can make it easier is a good thing. So, well, that, that kind of leads on to um, a, a, another kind of favorite topic of this. And actually, I think it is something that people find um, really difficult. And I thought it was kind of an interesting uh, part of the series that you wrote about was this idea of security logging. So the idea that you may have a seam platform. Um, so, uh, well, actually, maybe we'll start there because uh, you kind of you talked about seam as a as a way of helping you to manage the amount of logs. So, so what is it? What what is seam? You know, what what? Why do people need to have it? And then why is um, kind of tracking logs so important in as you build security? So SIEM stands for Security and Event Management. Is it management or monitoring? Let's, let's go with management. I like management. Okay. Uh, and so it's basically, it is centralized logging. And so this idea that you have all of these different devices and servers, they all have their individual logs. And without having a central tool to kind of collect all of that, it's really hard to correlate events and kind of see if maybe you have some nefarious kind of activity going on. but that makes it easier. And then in the event that something is compromised, actually having those logs in a central place is a huge advantage. So for Baltimore City to keep going back to this, and I'm originally from Baltimore, which is why I have been so <laughs> enthralled when they had their, their ransom. I thought it was, you just liked so picking on Baltimore. That's what I thought it was. Yeah. And it really was crazy because it was for three weeks nonstop that things were just completely down. And so like one of the problems that they had is that they had servers that were compromised and that they had no clue on when the servers were actually compromised because some of the ransomware, it kind of, it stays dormant. And so if you, if you don't know when it was compromised, how would you even restore? And so having these logs go somewhere else is kind of a key part of your security posture. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you made a, re- a really good point as well in there about because um, I, I think that's absolutely right. Because you know, if you if you have a security incident and you've got no idea when it started, let alone you know what kind of what what's been happening, how you're supposed to uh, mitigate against that in the future, it becomes difficult. But I think the other thing you said that kind of caught my attention, and and again something that stood out in the article was actually the the, the value of consolidating all those because we've all all got things that are keeping logs all of the time, um, but if you've got a hundred devices that are all keeping separate logs, again as a human, how are you going to go and look at those hundred devices? Right. And as you said there, how are you then going to correlate the information in all of those hundred devices to build some kind of coherent picture of, of what you've seen? I mean, you, you talked in your article about how. Actually, once you've got those logs consolidated into one place, is then building additional intelligence on top of that. You know, what what what's what's some of the examples you've you've kind of seen of, of building additional intelligence on top of that that centralization of logs? Right. So in the field, I haven't seen a lot of this yet, but it really kind of excites me because even when you have a steam tool and if you've worked with it, there's generally a lot of room for improvement. Um, but I know that they they have they have they have add-ons that are coming into steam tools like user. The acronym is UEBA, it's User Event Behavioral Analysis. And again, this is more of the detecting behavioral anomalies and kind of things that don't look right. Because even when you have all of these logs in one place, it's still a lot of work to kind of filter through them, even like for the traditional application. Well, again, kind it of goes back to that idea, doesn't it, that actually as a person, we just can't filter quickly enough. There's too many events happening too right. often. Um, and again, one of the things I think traditionally that you would see, um, and I always remember this kind of, I'm picking on Microsoft today, but you see it all the time when people would deploy Microsoft System Center and you deploy it and you put all your kind of agents out there to monitor your Exchange servers and your SQL servers and your Windows servers. You turn it all on and suddenly you were drowned by endless alerts about things and you had no idea whatsoever whether right. those right. alerts yeah, were important yeah, or yeah, yeah and, and I suppose yeah, and again security is the modern equivalent almost of that in that there's so many alerts of things that um, may or may not be a threat that how again as a person we're supposed to work through them so you know I'm with you 100% I think this additional particularly the perimeter of the network spreads as we talked about before I think the idea that right. the uh, that we need additional help we need some way of analyzing and applying intelligence to that kind of stuff is 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 absolutely vital um, so, so I think that kind of brings us neatly round to kind of uh, what the final part of the series that you wrote, and I suppose it was kind of the, the wrap up a little bit, but it, it was kind of what I wanted to finish on, which was to look at this idea. You, you, you talked about the idea of defense in depth, um, and I kind of, I know we've touched on that as, as we've gone through, but again, we, do you want to talk a little bit about what you mean by defense in depth and why it's such an important part of building a good, robust security platform? So. The idea behind security or defense in depth is just layered security. You're not relying just on firewalls or micro segmentation or any of the other various preventative controls, but you're kind of looking at everything and you're layering it. And so it's kind of like with your house, you don't just have locks on your door, you have locks on your windows, you have an alarm, you have multiple ways to kind of protect people from getting into your house. Yeah, and, uh, and that's just, I think that's a good analogy, isn't it? It's the, it's the idea that it isn't just one thing from one person. You know, we don't just all, like I say, don't just have a, a lock on the front door and, and hope for the best. It's a lock right. on the back door. It's 
an alarm it may be security cameras it may be something like ring as a doorbell you know it's that kind of uh, kind right. of capability um and and so, so when you talk about depth i mean what what kind of uh, what kind of layers then would you you know so if we kind of look generally you know not not asking you to name names but if we were to look generally what what kind of um, areas then would you suggest that some people should look at so if I'm listening to this show saying well have I ticked off all the areas that I should be concerned about all the kind of layers what, what would be the kind of top things that you'd look at um, again the security scanning for the patching because a lot of you can provide a lot of protection just by making sure that your software is up to date um, user education again kind of getting your users to buy in to like what they are protecting and what can happen if they if they fail to kind of uphold their end of the deal. And so again, like firewalls, micro segmentation, it's kind of, it is everything. And it's also physical access. That's part of defense in depth. And you, um, you talked at the beginning as well, actually, about uh, one of the things that inspired you to kind of write this series. And as I said at the beginning, I'll make sure that we put links into show notes to each of the articles, because I think there's huge value in all of them. Um, and, and, you know, and, and allows, allows a lot more detail than the time we've, we've had today. Um, but you talked about um, this idea of security not being secondary. So, you know, so what, again, what, what's a way that you've seen where, um, or, or advice that you give to people to say, this is how you go about making security absolutely core to everything you're thinking about. So, you know, secure by design is a phrase that I, I hear quite often, you know, is it, again, if you've got some tips around how you start to make sure that everything you do is secure by design. Don't treat information security as a silo. So whether or not your network team, whether or not they're doing security, your cloud people, they're doing security. And even if that means just embedding someone focused on security on that team, but even development, like all of it, it shouldn't be that you design software and then you kind of get to the end and then you throw it over and someone runs a security scan at that point. It, it kind of, it needs to be from the beginning. Well, I suppose that also fits into kind of that, the buying conversation as well, doesn't it? In that, you know, if, if you're going to be successful and everything secure by design, then an entire organization needs to buy into that idea as well. Um, you know, you know, I mean, if you've got any, because uh, you know I think that is one of the biggest problems that, that we see when we talk to people about enhancing their security. You know, there's a couple of things that we, we often talk to people about. I mean, one is um, and it was something that, that we talked about actually at the event we were at together, that the idea that your security should be focused on the data and the information, not on the infrastructure. Um, and I think there's a lot of power in that, that the security follows the data and the information around, not the data and information is based on where it lives at any given time. Um, but, but have you got any tips for how you can encourage that view of getting buy-in from top to bottom in an organization? Hmm, that's a really good question. I knew if I asked enough that I'd come up with one. They've all had great questions. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 it's cultural and I, I don't know, I, I don't really, I don't know how you would be able to, how would you be able to change an organization? I, I mean, at some point, any organization that's had any kind of breach or like those are the kind of organizations, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, fortunately, they're the kind of ones that are ripe for change. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. No, I, I actually, I think that's a great answer because I, I think, you know, because you're somebody with a lot, lot of experience in a lot of organizations of, of work on security. And I think it's something that 
everybody struggles with um and i think it's it you know it, it's it's nice probably for people listening to this going that's great there isn't a there isn't just a magic button i needed to press then that i'd missed that uh, you're right actually it's a cultural culture change and cultural change is difficult um you know and, and i think as you say it, it's probably all the things you just talked about it's about flagging up examples it's about making security something that is actually becomes a path of least resistance you know it's more difficult to do things that are insecure than do the things that are secure um so so actually i think that's you know it's actually quite a comforting answer almost in that i'm sure we'd all love to know that it's just a big red button you press and everything's secure but actually knowing that it's much harder than that um again i think has huge value you know you can't you, you said it a couple of times yourself security is hard and i think people shouldn't be kidding themselves that secure i, I suppose often that that false feeling that security is dead easy because i've installed a bit of software is, is going to open you up to to kind of whole uh, whole different bunches of problems so um but look becky as we, we kind of come to the end of our time here um you know if people have i'll make sure that we, i post links to the articles um but if people do want to kind of uh, hunt you down online ping some questions your way what what's the best way to do that uh it's on twitter it's becky l elliot two l's two t's and they can also reach out to me on my blog beckyelliot.com Becky, that's brilliant. Um, and say so I thought that the series of articles were great, and uh, and I hope your first podcasting experience has not been too painful. And um, I look forward to having you on again uh, sometime in the future. But but for now, Becky, thanks very much, and uh, speak to you soon. Great, thank you. I hope you enjoyed that. For show notes, pop over to techstringy.com. We'll also find all of our previous Tech Interviews episodes. And if you'd like to appear as a guest or have an idea for a show, why not drop me an email at podcast at techstringy.com. Next week, it's the last show of the year as we take a look at the world of Wi-Fi assurance. So, to make sure you catch that show, why not subscribe? And hey, why not leave us a review? So, until next time, thanks for listening.